Hello, and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, the show that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Call, and maybe I need a safer day job. And remember to check out the website, howgooditis.com, and of course the Twitter and the Instagram and the Facebook page, which you can find over there, right there, at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. Hey, how about some trivia for ye? Well, I would like you to name the song written in 1908, where pretty much every American knows, but they only know the chorus. They don't know the verses. And I'm willing to bet that most people think that the chorus is the entire song. I'm going to give you a hint by playing part of the song. Katie, Katie was baseball mad, had the fever and had it bad, just to root for the hometown through every zoo. Katie Blue, on the Saturday, her young beau called to see if she'd like to go to see a show, but Miss Kate said no, I'll tell you what you can do. How about that? That's a recording from the year it was written, 1908, and it is probably one of the first recordings of the song. So that's the ver- that's the first verse of the song. Now, what's the title? I will have the answer for you later on in the show. Today, we are going to be talking about Touch of Grey, the only song by the Grateful Dead to make it into the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Uh, it's also the only song to make the top 20, uh, the top 40. Or the top 50. What? You say? What about trucking? Nope. That song, while it got a lot of airplay on the album stations, only made it to number 64 on the Billboard chart. What about Good Lovin'? Nope. Didn't even chart, despite the band performing it on Saturday Night Live. Touch of Grey topped out at number 9, and I think it created a whole new generation of Grateful Dead fans. The record was released in 1987, and it represented the band's comeback after Jerry Garcia spent five days in a diabetic coma the previous year and several months after that in recovery, including learning how to do stuff like, oh, you know, walk and eat and play the guitar. So that the band released anything at all after that was pretty much a big honking deal. And while the song might represent some acknowledgement of mortality, it wasn't written in the shadow of that event. The song, in fact, goes back a few years earlier to uh, 1982, when they first played it as an encore at the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland. And if you know anything about the dead, it's that they not only allow recordings at their concerts, they encourage it by providing the means for fans to jack into their equipment. So the first performance was, in fact, recorded and is circulated among deadheads. And as far as I can tell, other than the later edition of keyboards, it's already pretty fully formed. Actually, I'm, I'm going to back off on that because 
listening to it just now, I, I did hear some of the keyboards in there. They're, they're clearly like much more subdued than on the on the finished record. But yeah, they're, they're, they're in there. Anyway, the song's genesis goes back just a little bit earlier than that. It goes all the way back to Robert Burns, the guy who wrote All Lang Syne. Okay, maybe not quite that far. But we do go back to Robert Burns' great-great-grandson, Robert Hunter. Now, Hunter was a lyricist who became so associated with the Grateful Dead that he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame along with the band, even though he wasn't officially a member. And so far as I know, he remains the only non-performer to have that distinction. But anyway, Hunter started work on the song around 1980, so it was still about two years before he and Garcia beat it into good enough shape that they felt it would make for a decent performance. So now we fast forward five years, okay, and Jerry has the diabetes incident, and he goes into the coma, and he comes out of it, and he goes through rehab, and... The band went back into the studio during the first week of January in 1987, and to partially replicate the feeling of being on stage with an audience, the band recorded the basic album tracks in a darkened auditorium, hence the album title, In the Dark. The recording part of the album took about a week, and then after mixing and such, the album was released on July 6th, exactly six months after they started. By July 25th, the song has already entered the Hot 100 in the number 77 position. By mid-August, the dead have cracked the top 40 for the first time when the song reaches number 36, and then finally, in September, the album goes platinum, meaning one million sales. Plus, a week later, the song peaked at number nine on the Hot 100. And just for the giggles, I looked up the other songs in the top ten, and they were... At number one, Didn't We Almost Have It All by Whitney Houston. Number two was Here I Go Again by Whitesnake. Number three was I Just Can't Stop Loving You, which was a um, Michael Jackson song. Uh, I Heard a Rumor was at number four. That's Bananarama. Uh, Lost in Emotion by Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam was number five. ABC was doing When Smokey Sings. Uh, number seven song, here's the only one I didn't really remember, was A Carry by the band Europe. Uh, number eight was the cover of La Bamba by Los Lobos. Grateful Dead at number nine. And number 10, You Got the Look by Prince. And while Prince is the only one credited on that song, I'm pretty sure at the time Sheena Easton got a lot of attention for her vocals in the chorus. In fact, she's in the video, so it's, it's a little bit weird that the record just says Prince. Touch of Grey is the, also the only song for which the Grateful Dead created a video specifically for MTV, and it's a lot of fun to watch. In it, the band is performing on stage when they all suddenly turn into skeletons. Now it's the skeletons, dressed as the band members and with identical hairstyles, including beards, who are playing the instruments and singing. Now, the video makes no attempt to hide the fact that these are basically marionettes because you clearly see the strings that are controlling the skeletons as they play. Turns out there's a reason for that. At one point, a dog steals the leg bone of drummer Mickey Hart and the f with the foot you know, still in the shoe, and one of the stagehands has to go running after it, and he retrieves it so that Mickey can resume playing the bass drum. Near the end, the skeletons turn back into the band to great approval by the crowd, and finally we see that the band is also marionettes, and the camera tilts up, and we see that they're controlled from above by a couple of skeleton hands. The video was shot at the Laguna Seca Raceway following a dead concert. Once the shoot was set up, the audience was allowed back into the venue so that they could be photographed for the video, and they got to see the dead play the song twice, once as their real dead selves and again as skeletons. And in a nice attention to detail, 
if you look closely, you'll see that the skeleton representing Jerry Garcia is missing most of its right middle finger, just like the real deal. Garcia lost two-thirds of that finger when he was four years old in a wood-splitting accident. So, let's take a look at some of the lyrics that Hunter wrote for this song, because there is some meaning here other than the whole aging gracefully thing. And for this, I'm turning partially to a website called The Annotated Grateful Dead Lyrics, compiled by a man named uh, David Dodd. And I'm going to start with the line, light a candle, curse the glare, because according to Hunter, that line was Garcia's contribution to the lyrics. Now, Dodd attributes it to something that Adlai Stevenson said about Eleanor Roosevelt after she died, when he said that she would rather light a candle than curse the darkness. But the fact is, that phrase comes from an old Chinese proverb saying it's better to light a single candle than to curse the darkness. The bottom line being, you're better off doing one small positive thing than complaining about all the bad stuff going on. But the context, but the context excuse me, of the song has it a little bit backwards. The singer seems to be feeling a little bit cynical about things at this point. The title line, Every Silver Lining's Got a Touch of Grey, is a play on the phrase, Behind Every Dark Cloud There's a Silver Lining, and it's a corruption of something that John Milton wrote in the 1600s. There does a sable cloud turn forth her silver lining on the, on the night. About 200 years later, it starts to move into the phrase we're more familiar with. And the uh, last lyric that might stand some explaining is in the bridge. It's a lesson to me, the Abels and the Bakers and the Seas, the ABCs we all must face. This is a throwback to the old-style military communication alphabet, where if you wanted to spell something out loud, you would use words instead of letters. Nowadays, we would say Alpha Bravo Charlie to represent ABC, but before the mid-1950s, it was Abel Baker Charlie. So while he's literally saying the ABCs twice, once in the military alphabet and once in the usual way, he's also doing it old-style, which suggests that he's got a few extra ticks on his odometer. Now, there are only two notable covers of the song that I know of. Uh, one was by the Mighty Diamonds, which was part of a collection of dead songs recorded by reggae artists called Fire on the Mountain. And the other one is by a band called The War on Drugs, and it opens up a 2016 compilation album of Grateful Dead covers called Day of the Dead. They take some liberties with the lyrics, but uh, it's not awful, I guess. Every silver lining's got a touch of gray. I should close out this segment with two other things. First, just because the song was a hit didn't mean that they played it at all their concerts after 1987. In fact, in true Grateful Dead style, they pretty much played it whenever they felt like it. And I should also note that while the title looks kind of misspelled on your screen here and on the website, it's only be looking misspelled to Americans. For whatever reason, Hunter and the Dead chose to use the British spelling of Grey, G-R-E-Y. Why? We don't really know. And now it is time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two, I asked you to identify a song from 1908 that's still known to Americans today and, in fact, is sung by thousands and thousands of people each year, mostly between April and October. But most people sing only the chorus, thinking that's the entire song. 
The song was written by Jack Norworth. Now, Norworth was a vaudeville actor who, at the tender age of 29, had already been a part of Ziegfeld's Follies, and it's about a girl named Katie Casey. As far as I can tell, Katie is fictional. But anyway, one day, Jack is riding the subway in New York City, and he sees an advertisement for baseball at the Polo Grounds, which is the field in Upper Manhattan where the Giants played when they were a New York team. Now, despite the fact that Jack had never been to a Major League Baseball game before, he found some inspiration in the sign, and he knocked out a set of lyrics very quickly. The song talks about how Katie had baseball fever and attends all the home games and wasn't afraid to call out the umpires when they got it wrong. It really wasn't an extraordinary song lyrics-wise. Not the verses, anyway. The chorus, however, lives on today largely, I'll bet, because of the melody, which was written by Albert von Tilzer. And I'm sure by now you've guessed that the song I'm talking about is Take Me Out to the Ball Game, which is sung at the seventh inning stretch in ballparks nationwide and which is used as a musical shorthand and in movies and TV to signal, hey, baseball going on here. And just because it's so cool, I'm going to go back to that recording I played earlier and let you hear the entire thing. This is from 1908. It was recorded on one of Thomas Edison's wax cylinders. Take me out to the ball game, sung by Edward Meeker, Edison Record. a full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you're enjoying the show, please take the time to share it with someone and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at howgooditis. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod or you can check out the show's website howgooditis.com Thanks, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. And next time around, 
We're going to find out how good it is when you are born to run. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.